Hello everyone, welcome to the Hillfields Church Podcast where we talk about Jesus, how much we love him and what he's doing in our church. Here's this week's message. We pray it blesses you, but most importantly, that it changes you. Check it out. I came in on Thursday, so um, it was half term. Usually I go off somewhere, I would take the kids to college, I go somewhere else and I do the word. Um, that way, but I didn't have to take the kids to college. So I thought I'll go down to church; it'll be quiet. But unfortunately, I was working in the office with Joab, and um, it wasn't so quiet. So anyway, I wasn't really. I was trying to focus. I was trying to find something. I was looking in Chronicles. I was like, okay, we can carry on the Chronicles thing. You know, we'll find something else. And um, I was really struggling and um, trying to piece something together. And then Joab, Joab turned around to me at some point, and he said, "I've got a really good title for a sermon." <clears throat> and he said. Soul survivor. And he said, what would you do with that? Like, he didn't have any context or anything. He just went, I've got a name. And I went, I'll tell you what I'll do with that, didn't I? And I started, like, reeling off this information of, like, what we could do with that title, what we could do with it. Anyway, that's how we got here. So, yeah, the prophet Joab came into my life and spoke. So, um, we're here now, like... um, and as I was just working through it, so I came up with the four parts before I'd even worked out the sermon for today. I was just like, there's going to be, there's, there's more to this story. And, um, and so we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this story of Saul. Um, well, David, really, and, and, and Saul. So we're going to do four parts. And I, I've, I, I'm going to say this out loud so that I have to do it. But I really feel that I need to write this into a book. So I feel like by the end of the year... I want this to be in a book. I feel like it's something really important for all believers to have. Like, as we navigate through this story, it's going to have a lot of things for us to um, need and require for us to walk out our, our faith in Jesus. So part one today is learning about your soul. Tomorrow, Next week will be surviving rejection and persecution from your soul. Learning to offer your soul grace and mercy. And part four will be losing your soul. And um, we're just going to look at this story. So what is this story? It's, it's, it's basically looking at David being anointed by king, but not being king, because he has to navigate Saul before he can become king. And we're going to look at what he has to navigate before he actually starts fulfilling the promise that God has said over him. So we're going to read through quite a lot of scripture today. We should be all right. Time's all right. Okay. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal, When Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them with the Amalekites, for the, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, 
when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, Agag king of um, Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, sheep, oxen, and best of things which they should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? It's a question. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed that the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Verse 26, But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. When you reject the word of God in favor of your pride, compromise, or even your good ideas, you lose the favor of God in your life. In this story, we'll see Saul taking what, what he did, and first, what he does is he justifies his actions. He first of all says, yeah, yeah, we did, we did it. And then when, when he gets rebuked by Samuel, he then goes, well, actually, it wasn't really me. It was the other guys did it. They did it. But, you know, he, he, he blames people. And we do this. We're really good at doing this. When we get caught out, first of all, we're really proud in what we've done. So we're like, look what I did. And then, we, and then someone's going, that's not godly. And then you go, well, it wasn't really my fault anyway. We're really good at shifting it rather than accepting it. When we do something wrong, it's really important we take ownership of it. We just take ownership of it straight away. Like, otherwise, pride comes in. Self-righteousness comes in. And, and there's something built within us as people that we don't like being told off. Yeah? It's just built within us. So what we do is we just avoid having to face that. And what happens is then we end up blaming others for something that we've done. When we deviate from God's voice, we end up losing out on the path that could have been. Our disobedience leads us Disobedience leads us to lose out, not only on the plan God had, but on being close to God. Sometimes we're thinking like, I want to follow out the plan. But it's like, no, the main plan for every single person in this room should be intimacy with God. How close you can be with God. Not what your actions are, not what you do for him, but actually to, to strive after an intimate relationship with him. That's what he's died for. He's died to to put the relationship back together. That's what Jesus did. It was broken, but God said, no, I actually created you to have intimacy with me so that you would know me, that you would know how much I love you, who you are, who I say you are. Samuel says this, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience is more important than sacrifice. Obedience is more important than your works. Now, you could be obedient and do works, 
But when works start becoming the thing that drives you and you're not hearing from God, then you're being disobedient. And this is what was going on here. They thought they were doing the right thing. There was times when there was times to do sacrifices. So they were doing something that was written. It was something that was said, but it wasn't the time. It wasn't the right moment. It wasn't in the right way because God had already said, get rid of all of it. And when God says that's his word, so we talk about the Bible, that's the word of God. So when God says something, when God speaks to you, when the Holy Spirit impressions on you something, and that's his word, that's his truth, and you deviate from that, you're now in a, and you're going to end up in a mess. Your obedience is key to a healthy life with God. Your sacrifices, your works, your fears that lead you to serving people's demands, yeah? Things that cause us to want to please people. It's a lot easier to please people than it is to please God, isn't it? Because we don't necessarily get gratification from God. We don't really know if he's pleased. You know, we don't always get him saying, good and faithful servant. We're going to get that at the end, yeah? We don't always hear those words, but we can get gratification. We can get pats on the back from people that are physically there. So if you're doing something that serves them, then you know that you can instantly get something back. But what happens if you're serving them is disobedience to what God is saying. This is really key and really important into, the, into how, we, how we operate, how I operate in my walk with God, but also how I operate in this church. We have to be people of obedience rather than people that please other people. Let's just break that down for just two seconds. If we were to listen to people, particularly a few years ago, there would have been no space today in the meeting to invite people to Jesus. Now, for anyone that's been in this church for the last two or three years, you, it's just normal, isn't it now? That there's things break. Last week, we got to pray over people. Yeah, there's space to, to, for people to respond. But do you, you won't believe how many people were fighting to make sure that we didn't have that space for the Holy Spirit. That we didn't have space for God. So obedience is more important than works. Because people's works, people's versions of what they think, it just dies. It, is, it serves a purpose and it dies. It serves a purpose and it dies. And if you don't let it die, then it's dead. It's just you're living in death. We have to make sure that we're obedient. And our obedience is what does God want to do right now? What is God saying right now? And if he hasn't said anything different, what he last said to you is still the same thing. Yeah? Being obedient to God is like, what was the last thing he said to you? Oh, I need to be doing something now. Well, has he changed his mind? No. Well, then stick to the plan. What did he say? Stick to the plan. Keep going. Has he said stop? No, don't stop then. Has he said go? No, he hasn't said go yet. Right, okay, then don't go yet. Be obedient to what God is saying. Honor God in our obedience. Yeah? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Okay. Uh, Verse 34. Then Samuel went to uh, Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gilbeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? This is, sorry, chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. When God breaks it, 
don't fix it, amen. When God broke it, don't fix it. Once this was broken, once this was done, Samuel was grieving. He was so grieving in this. And sometimes we mourn over things God has said no to. And Samuel was sad because he had invested in Saul and he was the people's choice. Anyone watch WWE wrestling? You can commit it, it's all right, two people. Yeah, Lynn does, I know Lynn does, yeah. Okay, um, well, The Rock is the people's champ, yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah, you go. Yeah, okay, I knew that someone would come out of the work. <laughs> yeah, The Rock is the people's champ, he's the, the people's champ, yeah. And um, this was who Saul was, he was the one the people picked. He was the one the people picked. He was the people's champ, and, 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 and Samuel had invested in him. And as I was prepping this yesterday, I was realizing and thinking, we, we can invest in people, yeah? We invest in people a lot, yeah? Especially as Christians, we, it's, our, it's, our, it's, our, it's what we're here for. We're not really investing in things, we're investing in people. When God gives us calling, it always involves people, yeah? So we're investing in people, and then we can get burned by those people, yeah? Through that investment, we can give an investment so much that we, that we feel like, oh man, I have to stick to the investment because I've really thrown all my money's in the middle. Like I put everything in. It's, it's, it's win or bust. And, and, and what happens is that God is saying, I've broken this now. This isn't going to work. This is, this, is, this, is, this, is not going, this is not my plan anymore. This isn't going to be the way I'm going to function anymore. And we grieve it like Samuel grieves we grieve it because what happens is we, we end up in a place where we're, we think, oh, I've invested so much in it. I've invested so much. I've seen it over the years, including myself. We invest in people a lot as Christians. I'm so thankful God set me free. And I hope that in some cases, if you're not set free, you feel like you're meant to be a doormat as a Christian for people to walk all over. I want to set you free from that. That's not scripture. When the Bible says turn the other cheek, it doesn't mean get beaten around. When it says give the extra coat, it doesn't mean give away everything you've got. When it says walk a mile, you know, in someone, you know, for somebody else to carry their stuff, it doesn't mean be a doormat. It doesn't mean that at all. There's studies, I've got done studies on it. You can find out about what it really means. But unfortunately, people just read it and they let people walk all over them. And then what happens is we become consumerist. Church is consumerist today, unfortunately. People are picking and choosing. They're not going to the church that God is calling them to go to. They're going to the church that makes the best coffee. They're going to the one that's right in their timeline. Yeah, the one that they like. The one that works their time limit. Not the one that where God might work longer, do overtime. I don't want any, I don't want God's overtime. Yeah? I'm just going to come. I'm going to come when it fits in and I can go home and I can do what I want and can put the tea in the oven and be there at the end of it. Like, it's perfect. Slick as everything. People are looking for the one that fits rather than the one that they should be in. You know, when you're called to a church, sometimes you've got to go through some real rough stuff. Yeah? And if you're really called, uh, me and Ian have shared this story probably between us many times. But we were so done with this church about 10 so years ago. We got in a car and we drove around the estate and we were like, well, we feel that we like the area. We know we like the people. We want to serve them. But I can't be in that place anymore. So we were looking around. Is there a place that we could hire? You know, we, and, and, and even though we were like, we're so angry. Ugh, as we were driving around together, probably looking completely stupid to God. Yeah. We just got to the conclusion that was like, we can't go, can we? Because we were called to be here. Even in the mess. Even when it doesn't match 
the things you want it to match. And that's, that's what church has to be. You can't be coming to a place that meets your requirements because when it doesn't meet your requirements, you're just going to go somewhere else. You're not going to know longevity. You're not going to know long suffering. These are fruits of the spirit. So when we're, when we're in these moments, when we're in these places right now and we invest in certain things, if we're not called in it, it's going to be something we can throw away. It's something that we can just discard. And that's what happens because we invest in people. And if people have come in and they're using you to feed them, when you don't feed them anymore, I have seen people that have been picked up and driven to church, fed, looked after, maybe even given money, like supported. And the one time someone said, sorry, I can't pick you up, was the moment they left the church. Like you wouldn't believe it. And you'd be like, you'd be like, what? Like, because now you're not meeting the need of the person. And we get burned by that. So what happens, this is a really important lesson, is I just want a newsflash. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're going to get burned. But, but you're going to have to do, you're going to have to do, you're going to have to do what God tells Samuel to do, which is, Fill your cup and go. What does that mean? Repeat. Go again. This time, you might learn that you don't need to drive them around. You're not going to save them by driving around. By being an Uber is not going to bring them to Jesus. Yeah? We think that's what's going to happen, but it doesn't work. I can promise you there's plenty of people in this place that will tell you it will not work. I've seen people give up their houses, their rooms in the house to serve people, and those people just trash, trash them, leave. Like, and you think... Man, I felt like I was doing the Jesus thing. I felt like I was serving what God said. It's like, no, no, no. You were doing what they told you was a Jesus thing. Oh, my life is so much peaceful. You know, for me and Claire, man, our lives are so much peaceful. We just pick up in obedience what God tells us to do now. And when we do that, it's easy. It's a light burden to carry. We don't have to run around, rush around. We don't have to prop everyone up. If people want Jesus... They'll, they'll find him. They'll get there. So we've got to stop grieving the things that God killed. But we do need to fill our cup and go again. Fill up your cup of the, the horn of oil and go. The next one's coming. And this is where church fails. This is where we fail. Because we get burned. What happens to this? It gets hard. And then the next person that comes in that's authentic and genuine does not get the love of Christ now. They get the response of someone else's abuse to you. And now they're receiving that when they're walking through the doors. And they don't even know what's happening. And this is the life of a Christian. This is the life of a church. Reset, go again. And, and it's God that's got to reset the heart. It's God that's got to soften the heart. It's God that's got to chisel away at the, the stone that you put around it. Because the most important thing, guys, is that God is sending people through those doors, is he not? I mean, he really is. There's people here today, I don't even know you, and, and welcome, you're very welcome. But we didn't send you. God did. If you're not getting the love, and you're not getting the welcome, that, that means that you know that you are loved. Because we're carrying burdens because of the last batch that came in, did us a dirty... That's not fair. 
So we have to reset. Yeah, we may have been burned. Yeah, we may have, we may have been hurt. Yeah, we may have had people walk all over us. But we've learning. Oh, I don't need to be a doormat. I didn't know that at the beginning, so I was a doormat a lot. But now I've learning. I don't need to be like that. We can learn lessons along the way. This is a burden you don't need to carry. God's breaking it because he doesn't want you to fix it. He wants you to learn that you can serve people without being their, like, their caddy, their servant, where they can call on you night and day, ring you up when they like. There are so many pastors out there. Do you know what I've got on my phone? 11 o'clock, my phone switches, switches off. Okay? So if anyone's ringing me, I'm like, I don't hear it because I'm in bed. Well, I'm chilling out. So I'm sorry I'm not an available pastor after 11 o'clock. But you know what? I've got less gray hair than some pastors. Do you know who you need to ring? Jesus. <laughs> you hang out with Jesus. Because do you know who I have to ring? Jesus. If I'm struggling, there's no pastor hotline. I'd be like, oh man, I need Jesus. Okay, you go to Jesus. Verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Simon, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's only when I read scripture. What's going on with this guy? <laughs> He's like, amen. Okay, this bit, I want to call on the leaders of the church. If you serve in this church, life group leaders, pastors, people that are in leadership, making decisions, people that serve other, others, people that clean, people that, that serve, people that, leaders are servants, okay? People that serve others, yeah? That's what it really is. People that come in and they, and they take care of each other. Like I said earlier, everything involves people, doesn't it? Why we do it. There is an amazing cleaning team that no, none of you see. I get to see them. But they turn up week in, week out, and they make sure that this church is clean, ready for you every week. They serve you. You don't even know who they are. Serving people. Taking care of people. Honoring God with obedience. But I want to speak to you all. We must lead as God sees people, not how we see people. We must lead how God sees people, not how we see people. We can be quick to judge people by their appearance and their actions, but we don't know their story. Can you imagine the first time you maybe walked into church or something like that, maybe a group that you went to? And you thinking everybody knows your business, but they don't know anything about you. But you're scared. You're scared of showing up because you're thinking, oh, man, I'm too dirty to be here. You don't know the things I've done. I'm so messed up. Well, that's how you think. That's how everyone thinks when they're showing up to a place for the first time, particularly a church. So we should never fuel that. We should never fuel that. We should, we should be removing that. We should be saying, you are loved. You are accepted. You are welcome. Do you know, um, for me, I remember a long time ago, um, through my upbringing, I didn't have an awful upbringing, but I had a rough times. But I didn't really know what family was. I didn't know what family was. When I gave my life to Jesus, I had an instant family. I had a family that was given to me immediately, a church family. I didn't ask for it. It was mine. Like, I got it. And what I mean by that is I had mums and dads that weren't my mums and dads, 
that were my mums and dads. They, they took care of me. They fed me. They said, come around, have some dinner before you go to the church meeting, come before you go to youth group or whatever it was. Like, we'll take care of you. They fed me. They encouraged me. They fed me the word of God. They, 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 they came alongside me. They loved me. I felt so loved. I felt so welcome. And a long time ago, as I was struggling with this concept, because church to me, church to me is everything. I think it's such an important part of a Christian's walk. I, you can't walk with Jesus without church. I believe it's really key. And I think people have abused that and, and, and damaged it. And it's made people feel like, oh, I don't want to be part of that. Like me and Ian, we're like, we don't like this thing, but we're going to... But the truth is, the truth is, the truth is we can't, we can't live this life without church. But when I was in it at times, I was like, God, I don't like your church. And he said, me neither sometimes. He was like, me neither. So I asked him this question. I said, God, what is your church? It's no good telling people what it, what it isn't. What is it meant to be? And it took a while for it to come. It took about a few years. I was kept on asking God this question. What is church? What is church? What is church? And about two, three, three, four years ago maybe, it was like God says church. And I got it because I started to re remember. He said church is family, which is what our motto is. Church equals family. So everyone that walks through those doors, everyone that becomes part of this, has to become part of the family. And to become part of a family means that we are loving one another. We are preferring one another. We are taking care of one another. We're, we're encouraging one another. We're, we're, we're supporting each other. If we see people, like see a brother stumble, you come along and you help them. You don't become the stumbling block. In fact, it says if you're going to cause God's children to stumble, it's better to put a millstone around your neck and throw yourself in water. So we cannot become the people that cause stumbling. So if you are not God, and newsflash, send to the person next to you, you're not God. Yeah, just make sure they know it. Just look them in the eyes and say, you're not God, yeah? If you're not God, that means you don't know anything, yeah? You only know what's right in front of your face, which means you don't know what's in the heart. And God says, I don't look the way the man looks. This is what it says here. I don't look at the way the man looks. I look at the heart. And for us, because we're not God, we have to wait for the heart to be revealed. Because we can judge by the appearance, but we have to let God do a work before we find out what's really going on. Good or bad? Good or bad? Where was I? Verse 8. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. There he is keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. For we, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of, of his brothers. 
And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So even among his family, David wasn't recognized. And here's where the sermon series begins. Soul survivor. We're going to look at the life of David who was anointed as king at a young age. But before he could take up the position he was anointed for, he had to survive Saul. Who is Saul? Well, in David's case, he was the king who had been rejected by God. And David had to navigate through Saul before he could become king. But who is Saul to you? This is the question over these next four weeks. Who or what is Saul to you? See, David was recognized and anointed by God, just like many people have been filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah, because you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, yeah? A lot of people have done that, and nine people today, amen. But, but to go from the place of recognition, yeah, of, of being accepted in the kingdom of God to walking it out, there's processes in between. Anyone suffered this? Yeah, from the point that you said, yeah, Jesus come into my life, to the point where you're actually, man, I'm walking it out with Jesus. There are souls in between that you have to navigate. There are situations that go on that you have to work through. Processes that we have to face. Situations that we have to go through. Perhaps God has started to work in you but you have to navigate that decision to make it real. Or perhaps God has anointed you for an assignment. But before you get to walk out that assignment, you're going to have to navigate the soul in your life. So perhaps to you, it's a sinful habit that you brought with you. Yeah, maybe you've, been, you've acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But newsflash, like I said earlier, the sin that was stopping you in the kingdom of God was your belief. Once you change that, we start recognizing sin. Before that, we don't recognize it. But after that, the Holy Spirit comes in and he starts revealing things to us. So once he starts revealing things to us, we start realizing, man, the thing that I was okay with before, I'm not okay with now. And God starts revealing that to you. So you bring it with you. It's not something that ends at that point. The power of it can end. The Jesus has come into your life. But we've got to learn how to navigate that with God so it loses its power. Because we don't understand that at that time. So the sinful habit maybe that you brought with you. Perhaps it's a mindset that keeps you in a prison. Believing lies over yourself of who you really are. Yeah, so maybe you come in. Maybe the sword for your life is you've, you've brought rejection with you. Or you've brought, you've brought um, abusive relationships that were in your life. That where stuff was spoken over you. And... And God wants to use you in something. He wants to call you into something. Or he's calling you into his kingdom. He's saying, come on, walk this out with me. And you're like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough because that's all I've ever heard. That's all I've ever heard. That may be the soul that's in your life that God wants you to navigate through. And we're going to look more into that next week. Perhaps it's a, um, a pride, a bad attitude, self-righteousness. That's fighting against your spirit. Yeah, where you think you're right when really you're wrong. Because God's always right and we're always not. Okay, 
but we're fighting because we're like, I want to be right. I want to be right. Like I said earlier, we've invested so much in being right that when God says it's wrong, we start living in a disobedience rather than actually just saying, God, you know what? I'm wrong. So God maybe wants to break some stuff in you because you start living a self-righteousness attitude where you start judging people. You start looking at other people as if they're not where you are. And it's like, where were you at their age in their faith? I've had to learn that lesson with all these guys that have come to Jesus over the last few years. I've learned this lesson of like, God, like, like, what was I like when I got saved? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about that anymore. Yeah, that's, that's between me and you. Yeah, okay. Because really, when we really think about it, man, we were a mess when we came to Jesus. And whilst we remember the incredible trans, 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 transaction that took place in that moment where we weren't the same again like we were still messy afterwards I was like I'm still struggling with this thought I'm still doing things I shouldn't be doing do you know the difference is though you didn't care before you didn't care before now you care that's because God's moved in so we could be so quick to judge people we're like we're not at church enough they're not at church enough they're not at church enough I'm like well maybe maybe God's doing a work in them Claire told me, taught me a lesson really early on when we started seeing people coming into the church. She said, she said to be fair, because there was murmurs, like people kept on going in and out for vaping. Yeah? It was like, what's going on? It was like, a, Jamie was saying, it was like a, almost like you had to have traffic lights out there. Yeah? It was like, or, or like a, or was it a lollipop lady. Like, wait a minute, someone needs to use the toilet. Like, go. Yeah? But the truth is, when people come to Jesus, what is this? This is the weirdest thing. Do you know you're the weirdest thing? The Bible says you're a peculiar people. Do you know that? That's what the Bible says. Not me. That's the Bible. Yeah. So can you imagine somebody that doesn't know Jesus like this day, Saturday, like me. I didn't know Jesus on Saturday and I accepted him on a Sunday. Yeah. So I didn't know Jesus on a Saturday. So that meant that my Sundays were, were set up for football, playing football, watching football. Yeah. Or maybe going on a walk with your family, eating a roast dinner, whatever it might be, going down the pub, getting over a hangover. Yeah, that's what Sundays are literally for, so you can recover ready to go to work on Monday. Yeah, that's what everyone around the world without Jesus is doing every Sunday. They've just got this day set aside. That's not really a day that's like the party day or whatever. It's the recovery day. It's the football day. It's the sports day. It's the walking out day or whatever it might be. And now you're saying, come to church for two, three hours. Yeah, like when you're at, when you're at home, you can go and vape. I got and open a conservatory or you vape in your house, I assume. But I don't know, I'm not a vapor. But do you know what I mean? Like, suddenly you come into a place where like they shut me in. They shut me in. I don't know what to do. So things are gonna look like that, aren't they? Things are gonna be different. It's gonna be messy. Church is messy. And we're gonna get people coming in, it's messy, and they're not gonna meet your requirements because it's not God's requirements, it's yours. So Claire said to me, Well, do you not think that maybe like it's just a bit weird for them? She said, I don't really like sitting down in your sermons for one hour, let alone, you know. <laughs> she said, so. <laughs> That's how it felt. Okay. Anyway, so then. <laughs> so what, what are you expecting somebody that's, I mean, some of the guys that are getting saved may, may have hated school. They may have never been able to struggle to sit in a classroom. And we're literally saying, come back to school. Sit down. You know, do you understand what's going on with something's shifting? We're changing culture. We're saying this is not, this, not that this is wrong. We're teaching the word. Yeah? But people aren't going to come in and be like, oh, I got it. I'm in. I'm, stu- I'm, the, I'm the keener. Yeah, here we go. 
It don't work that way. We think that we were. I really believe that we really think that when we got saved, we were like, I was just Jesus everything. I was like, let's see that if Jesus wants to put a map of your sin in that period, I'm pretty sure you'd be like, don't show it. So we weren't as free-flowing with Jesus as we think. We were still battling through stuff. So that grace that we need on each other, grace that we have on people. What Saul, I don't know how I went really off on one there. I was supposed to be just a line. Okay, next one. Perhaps it's the person from your past that's engulfed you and consumed you and they still have power over you. And I thought about this. I'm thinking maybe if you've had a man or a woman that's abused you in the past, maybe you struggle with men and women in your future, in your present. That's a soul. Because like I said earlier, how can you give them the love of Christ? Yeah, if you've got a hard heart because of something somebody did to you that they don't even know about. We've got to love the way God wants us to and in the way that God has designed us to. But we can only do that if we allow him to heal us from those that hurt us. Otherwise, we're just hurting people that didn't do anything wrong. And really, then we become the abuser, don't we? Which is crazy. You're like, I'm not an abuser. You don't know why they did to me. But it's like, maybe you're the one that's caused a stumbling block for someone walking through the door because you weren't welcoming because they were a certain gender, maybe. Because they looked like your ex. That'd be weird, but okay. Yeah, and you're just like, no, like I didn't, oh, I came to church. I felt like it was like, felt like God wanted me to, but the person on the door, man, they... They gave me the cold shoulder. Well, if you let God do the work, then you can love that person, can't you? It's not easy stuff. This is why it's a really important next four weeks. Because we're going to have to navigate through a lot of things. It's not all going to be the same for everyone. And it's something that we might need to revisit. Perhaps it's jealous people who see change in you but want to tear you down from where God has put you. Maybe that's the soul in your life. You don't understand that Ever since you started to go to church and you stopped drinking and smoking and swearing, that now you, everyone hates you. You're dealing with people that struggle with that change. And that's the soul that you've got to navigate. I don't know who or what soul is in your life right now, but maybe just take a moment with just like five to ten seconds just to think about what that could be. Maybe you've already got an idea. And maybe just write it down on your Bible, in your notes. Just write down what's the first thing that comes in your spirit. Maybe just... I know what that is. Maybe over the next few weeks, it might be something that you don't know, but it might be revealed to you. But if you know what it is, write it down and just say, God, I want to conquer this soul. I want to overcome this. Because I, you have plans for me. You have plans for me. And, and actually, I'm not able to operate in those plans because this is too much power over me. Verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit of the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit has of God is troubling you. Mess with God and his plan, expect distress. Can I give you my one? Messing equals distressing. You can write that down. I've copyrighted it. Messing with God, expect distress. When you mess with God's plan, not only just in your own life, but actually in the lives of others, if you get in the way, if you become a stumbling block, if you mess with it, Expect distress. If you're messing about with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords plan for your life or someone else's life, you will not have peace. 
We all know that we are often in places where our spirit is in distress because we have given permission to the enemy to come in. There's no peace where there is no God. Verse 18. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and handsome person. And the Lord is with them. So a few verses previous, David wasn't recognized by his own family as being someone who would be recognized as a potential king. Yeah? Just a few verses earlier. I, don't, I try to find out what the gap was. There's nothing that said that what the gap is. But, there's, but like he was anointed as king, but in that anointing, when they were looking out for the picking the sons, he wasn't in the conversation. He wasn't recognized as any level of potential of being king. No one saw it, not his own father, not his own brothers, okay? Not even Samuel, really, because Samuel's like, look at this guy. This must be the dude, yeah? He's the prophet of God, and he's like, God's like, that's not the one. So flash forward just a few verses on. His own family, the people around him didn't recognize him, yet the servant to the king not only recognizes David's skills with worship, but also his status as a man of valor and a man of war. This is what God wants to say to you today. You may not get recognized by the people you think you should get recognized by, like your parents, your siblings, your friends. You may not be recognized in your faith by those that you thought would be on the journey for life with you. But those that are closest to the king will. Those that are closest to the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, they will recognize who you are in Christ. They will recognize who you are in Christ. That's the company you need to keep. That's the people you need to be around. Because people around you, yet yeah, as we have a lot of different circles in our lives at times, but if you're relying on those that are never going to recognize who you are, you're just going to feel rubbish about who you are. And you're never going to get, get any further with God because you're just going to be like, I'm rubbish. They, they, they say I'm rubbish. They, they quite openly say it. They don't recognize me. They don't care about this thing that God's done in my life. They don't care that I've been able to, I've been sober for so long now. They're just angry that I'm not drunk anymore. Yeah, they're, they're, not, they're, they're, not, they're not happy that now my family's all been brought back together and now I've got my family and I'm being able to serve my family and, 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 and be a mother or be a father that I wasn't able to be because of the substances that I was taking. They're, they're not happy about that. They're angry because I'm, I'm not needing them anymore. I'm not ringing them up and saying, I'm drunk again, pick me up, or I'm in a mess anymore. You might not get recognized by the people that you think should know better. But those that hang out with the king, they will see it. Your brothers and your sisters in Christ, they will see it. Hang out with those people. Make sure they're the loudest voice in your life. Make sure they're the ones that are speaking into you because they will. They'll be like, oh, I see this in you. Keep going. Stay faithful. This is the word of God, wherever it might be. I learned a long time ago that I wasn't going to be accepted by my family for being a Christian. I just knew it. I just, But like I said earlier... I'm just so thankful that I came into a church family. And that's why I'm going to fight hard to make sure that this remains family. Because that's what saved me. Jesus came into my life 
and changed my destination. But the people that were, had Jesus that I came and met with, they propped me up. They served me. They loved me. They showed me Jesus through their character. They showed me how I should be a Christian. They showed me how to live, how to serve others. Church equals family is a really important thing that we have to fight to make sure remains. And people that want to fight against that, I'll fight you. I will fight you. Right now. Anyone? No, okay. <laughs> because it's so important that every single person knows that they are loved. Knows that they have purpose in God. That everyone is welcomed. And that everyone knows that they have a brother and a sister on their left and on their right that would die for them. And if that's not the case, if that's not your remit, there are loads of churches you can go to. I will recommend some. If you're not willing to die for the person next to you on your left and right, if you just got saved, it's okay. This is not a requirement. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I'm just saying we've got to be in the trenches with each other. And if we're not willing to do that, if we're not willing to seek out unity in Christ, in fact, Scripture says keep unity. It's already there in Christ. It only breaks when we, one of us deviates out of it or both of us or whatever, all of us. If we keep it, if we remain in Christ, family is key. Key. I look at Acts 2 like this. They gathered together. That's how I see it. It says every day somebody was saved. Why were they saved? Because the family of God gathered together. It says all the different things that they did, but it's not the things they did. It was the gathering. It was the love for one another. And you add that to scripture that Jesus says to the disciples before he goes to the garden. And he says, love one another as I have loved you, that they will know you are my disciples. So if, if we stray from that, if we stray from that, then that's when it causes pain. If anyone strays from that, that's when it causes trouble. So don't listen to the voices that you think or you feel that you need to hear it from because it's never going to come. And I don't want to speak death over that, but really, if your parents have never told you the things that you really want to hear from them to this point, don't hang to that promise. Get with the Father's words over your life and let them be the ones that fuel you. Hang out with people that hang out with the king and listen to what they say about you rather than those. Because when we're waiting for affirmation from those that have never given us affirmation, that's a power they have over you. That's Saul. And maybe that's yours. Verse 19. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent him then by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul said to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, that David would take the harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. This is an insight to how God works. Listen to this. Write it down. David is anointed king, but he is not positioned as king yet. But God positions him in the palace where he will eventually be recognized as king. But it's not time yet. He has to survive Saul first. God will position you in the place, but not in the position. 
because it's not time yet. This is my greatest advice I will give you right now. You can write this down. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah, okay. Please. No one quite ready. So, okay, Nick's getting his app up. Everyone ready? Okay. Are you ready? This is my greatest advice for you. Learn. L-E-A-R-N. Learn. Be a student. Be a student. Learn. 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 When you've learned, learn more. Learn, learn, learn. Just keep learning. I'm not talking about learning extra great knowledge. I mean learn how God works. Learn what the voice of God sounds like. Learn how the character of God, what the character of God is so you can understand who he is in your life. Learn what the Bible says. Learn, learn, learn. Watch people that have served God a long time. Watch how they do it because funnily enough, yeah, they might know more than you. Watch, learn, watch, learn, watch, learn, watch, learn. This is what God said to me. How can you, so you might be anointed to be like, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to teach the word. I'm going to teach the word. Or I'm going to preach. I'm going to take Rich's job. Yeah, I've got it. I see it. The Lord has told me. Okay. And amen to that. I'll take very happily. Okay. But how can you teach if you are not a student? How can you teach? How can you lead if you haven't watched others lead? Learn. Maybe God is calling you to lead this church. Maybe to be a worship leader, a pastor, a minister to others. <coughs> to do dance or choir. Work with youth, kids. But right now you're positioned in the palace. Yeah? But you're not positioned in the position. Learn. Learn. God will get you there. Learn. Do not reject the lessons. Watch, grow, learn from people who are doing it. Ask questions and become someone who will be a student that when the time comes, you will then be able to walk in the anointing. Chapter 17. We've only got six pages left. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and the shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out, to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you cho- come out, out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, and then, he, um, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Now David was the son of that Euphrates, Euphrates, something of basically Jesse I don't know why they don't just say Jesse we knew Jesse is by this point David was the son of Jesse and who had eight sons 
And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. Then the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, um, next to Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near, presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers, brothers and ephah of this dry grain and these ten loaves, and run your brothers at the camp, run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheese, cheeses to the captain of, the, of their thousands, and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they, all, all the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the things that went as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the camp, and the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up the battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then he talked with them. There was a champion, the Philistine Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. It shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. So Eliab, his oldest brother, heard, um, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not cause? Then he turned from him towards another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words of David spoke, um, which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he said to him, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and, and he is a man of war from his youth. Whew, okay. Now a bit of war. Saul speaks over David, and he says, you can't do this because he's a man of war from his youth. But what did the king's servants say about David that he was a man of war he might be in his youth but he was recognized not as a boy as a man of war the king's servants saw and believed this what soul are you having to navigate today perhaps it's the voices of the king saying you're not good enough or his brothers accusing his motivations, saying things like, I know your heart. I know why you're like you are. You're just here to, this is who you are. This is what you do. And he's like, what have I done? I'm, 
what am I doing? You're judging my heart. You're judging like what, you don't know what's going on down here, behind here. Maybe that's the soul for you, people accusing your motivations. He had no pride, no insolence in his heart. He was following the instructions of his dad. His dad said, go and take lunch to your brothers. He went down there, gave the lunch. He wasn't there. He wasn't over the other area in the, in the, in, with the sheep and just decided, I'm just going to go down there and show them who's boss. He was sent. His brother put, spoke death over him immediately. Do you know what David did? He did this. And he spoke to someone else that would listen until it got the king's attention. And that's what God wants you to do. When people start speaking death over you, turn your back on them and go and find someone that will speak life over you. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. David turns around. And the king's servant knows he's a man of war. How is that even possible? He knows that he's a man of war. He's in his youth, but he's known as a man of war to the servant, to the king. Therefore, he's qualified. He is qualified for this battle, according to what man is saying. We need a man of war. Oh, actually, I'm, I'm that. I've been recognized. I've been anointed by, king, by, by Samuel. I'm being acknowledged by even servants to the king. I'm a man of valor and a man of war. So I'm more equipped for this battle than you think. We don't give David enough credit at times because we think he's just a boy against a giant. But he was a man of war. Before he threw any stones. And maybe you need to know that you're more equipped for the battles that are ahead in your life than you think. Because all you've been listening to is what you're not rather than knowing who you are and actually what life has done for you. You see, David, he says, in a minute we'll read, he says, I've killed lions and bears. I'm ready. I'm more equipped for this than you think. He understood that the lessons learn, yeah, learn. He understood that in learning, taking care of the sheep where no one was recognizing him, even his family were discarding him, even in all of that stuff, he was learning the lesson so that when a battle arose, he said, this is no different. God delivered me from the lion. He delivered me from the bear. He can deliver me from this guy. I don't see it as any different. It's the same God I'm serving, same protector. Maybe the soul you need to survive is voices, the voices that crush you before you even get started. The ones that cause you to fall back in line, yeah? The ones that cause you to shrink or retreat. It's their issues, yeah? It's their issues, yeah? And it's put on you as if it's your problem. God spoke to me last year about insecurities, me personally. And I felt he said to, to me this, P, 
People who put their insecurities on others can be very abusive. I was like, oh no, that's what I'm doing. Or, or that we're living in, insecurity, in an insecurity place. Maybe you don't put it on others, but maybe you're just in an insecure place. I was definitely in that place where I was suffering a lot because I was allowing other people's insecurities to infect my insecurities that caused me to be in a bad place with God. The best, that's a, probably the quickest summary. So what, what I mean is if I suffer insecurities, which I do, and I have, and I don't navigate them with God, if I don't navigate them with God and give them to God, I will project them onto others and then end up manipulating people. And every single person here has insecurities. Everybody. We all have them because it's something that's built in our brain literally to, to feel less about who we are. It's there. Like we need to keep speaking, allowing God to renew our minds. But we allow rejection of others. We allow the abuse of others. We allow the voice of our own voice speaking rubbish over us. We allow setbacks and discouragements along the journey to, to set up who we really are today. Like this is who I am. Life's done its work. Here I am. And we allow that. So then what happens is that we project that onto others. So by doing this, I've managed to avoid what God wants me to deal with. And now I've got people to pander to me as if I am wounded and that needs tending. And now people are walking on eggshells around me. Yeah. All the while, well, I'm just avoiding doing business with God. And now what I've done for that person is I've now stopped them being who God wants them to be. Because now they're not being who they truly are. Because now people are pandering to what you've set up from the beginning. It's a, it's a defense mechanism. We put things in place to say, well, I'm going to let you know some of the things that are like. So what we're really saying is, I really struggle with this, so please don't do that. Yeah? But what, what we're saying is, if that person has to do it, now we're telling them, you can't. If God is talking to that person and he's speaking to that person and he's saying, this is who you are. This is who I want you to be. But it doesn't meet with your insecurities. Now we're manipulating somebody into being somebody that they're not. And I think this is a big deal. I had to do some real work with God last year just because stuff was coming at me. And I was like, I'm not handling this very well. And I realized it wasn't their problem. It was my problem. It's for me to have to deal with. It's for me to have to work through. And when you work through that, then we're not projecting it onto anyone else. And we've got to really understand this about the way that we speak to each other. Stop being manipulative with the way you speak. Just say what you mean or don't say it at all. Because otherwise you're now making that person go, oh, I don't know what the truth is, but now I've got to, they're telling me what I need to do for them when it may mean that they're not doing what they should be doing. Verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear came and took the sheep, a flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered it to the lamb in the mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be be the, like the one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from this poor of the lion and the poor of the bear, he would deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Saul is the reason why David is not positioned in his anointing. You can write this down. Saul is the reason why David is not positioned in his anointing. But what we see here is the king releasing David into battle that would elevate David to be the future king. Saul is the reason why David is not in the position he was anointed for. But Saul is now elevating him so that that can come to pass. I don't know about you, but when God is your agent, when God is your manager, when God is in control of your life, he will promote you. He will do things at the right time. He will put you in the place that he wants you to be. And he'll even use those that are in your way to do it. If you trust God, if you trust God, he will blow your mind. Those that you think are winning, those that you think are in the way, are actually going to be the ones that are going to help give you a, a foot up to get to where God wants you to be. You'll be shocked by it. But this isn't the only story where God does this. He does this over and over again. He uses those that are classed as the enemies of God to actually put the people of God in places of promotion. Joseph is an example. He's a servant. He's a servant. He's a servant that's in prison. And he ends up becoming prime minister to the whole world. He saves the whole world because with God, he gets the strategy on how to save the world, including his own family. And who puts him there? Pharaoh. One of the biggest enemies of the people of God that you can get. Worships different gods, sees himself as a god. He's a false god, and yet... He promotes God's child to a position. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give you the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the day may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near and met David to meet David that David hurried, ran forward with the army to meet with the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead. So the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in his hand, in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his own sword, drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. I want to make a really bold statement today. It's not a statement that I something I've heard on a podcast in the last few weeks, but I'm gonna I'm stealing it. David wasn't meant to slay Goliath. It was meant for Saul to do. But the reason he isn't the man is because God removed his hand from Saul because of his disobedience. Saul is the king. Not only that, if he's part of the army of Israel, God's people, God isn't going to let them get wiped out. But because he hasn't got the anointing anymore, 
because of his disobedience and the hand of God being removed from him, he hasn't got the power to overcome Goliath. But it should be him. It should be him that does it. Had Saul remained in obedience to God, he would have had all the tools to overcome Goliath. Because let's make no mistake, this isn't about David. And this isn't about Saul. This is about the God that they serve. And David knew this. He says, ah, he didn't even take a sword into the battle. He said, I'm going to come with some stones and a rubber band. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defeat you because God's going to give you into my hands. So Saul could have done the same thing. It wasn't a David-Saul thing. It was that, it was an anointing thing. It was an anointing thing. The anointing had shifted. Same God. We sang it. Same God. Same God. Same God, different attitudes. One of obedience, one of rebellion. When we step away from God and rebel, the giants we were once able to overcome will be immovable. I don't believe I was the first person called to be pastor of this church. This church is nearly 100 years old. If the people have sought the Lord the way they should, back in 1929 when it was built, and they established the roots and the foundations that should have been established then, and made sure that it was passed from generation to generation to generation, I wouldn't be needed here. And I'm not devaluing myself. Don't come up to me and say, oh, but you are, the, you are the guy. You are. We love you. Yeah, I get it. I understand. I'm okay. All right. But what I'm saying is sometimes we get sent to places that wasn't our, our assignment. It was somebody else's assignment. But they rejected God. They rebelled against God. They turned their back on God. And God's saying, no, no, no. I need someone to go here. I need someone to go here. If we want to survive Saul... If you want to be a Saul survivor, then you cannot be Saul anymore. You must become David. You must allow God to anoint you. And you must push away disobedience and rebellion. And you must live a life choosing to be obedient to God. Saul messed up because he felt his way was better meaning that he had no power later on to overcome the giants he faced because that power had gone. And I'm pretty sure we can all recognize and understand that when we're not in the right place with God, the things that we were able to deal with and the things that we were able to overcome, suddenly they, are, they seem more powerful than ever before. And back in the day, when you faced the same giant, you were able to knock it down as if it wasn't even there. Our disobedience means that God's hand lifts until we learn the lesson and we put it right with God. And sometimes our disobedience can lead to a lot of pride that takes a long time for us to repent and acknowledge that we were in the wrong place. God may call you into an assignment. Joab, can you come forward? God may call you into an assignment that, you, that was meant for someone else. Just make sure God isn't calling someone into the assignment that was meant for you.
I'll read that again so you can write it down. God may call you into an assignment that was meant for someone else. Just make sure God isn't calling someone else in the assignment that was meant for you. You see, if God has told you to do something and, it hasn't, and it's not working, it's because it's not time. So you keep going. But if you're quitting because it's not working, even though God said it, then God will send someone else. So by the time you go and try something else, I'll go and try this thing then because it's not working over there. By the time you actually return to the thing that God had told you to do, someone else will be in your shoes. Be, obe be obedient to God. So I'm just going to finish with this summary. You can write it down. I'm sure you can get it off of the... This is the end now. We're nearly there. It's just been over an hour. So well done, everyone. Number one, God's word is not optional. When God said it to Saul, he meant it. So when Saul thought, I could cut some corners in this one, it did not work out well for Saul. God's word is not optional. Number two, don't mourn over your bad investments. Stop mourning over your bad investments. Let it go. Let them go, whatever it may be. I'm not talking about if you got a gym membership and never used it. <laughs> I'm talking about maybe relationships where the person was abusive. Or jobs that you picked that you knew you shouldn't and it ended up becoming a nightmare. That's not who you are and it's not where you are now. Don't mourn over your bad investments. Just let them go. Number three, this is the question that you're going to have to ask yourself today and also over the next four weeks and beyond. Who or what is Saul to you? Who or what is Saul to you? Number four, mess with God, expect distress. Messing equals distressing. Number five, listen to those who hang out with the king. Number six, Oh, sorry. Listen to those who hang out with the king. It's just really nice that you're actually listening. I just thought you just, can you hurry up and get out, Rich? We want to go in. So, okay. Some people are, they're like, oh, great, all these note takers. I want a coffee. <laughs> they're cussing you. Number six, God will position you in the place, but not in the position because it's not time yet. Learn. That's L-E-A-R-N. Number seven. Don't project your pain onto people because they are not the reason for that pain, rejection, or insecurity. Number eight, he will propel and promote you in his timing. And you can add this as an extra bit, and he might even use those in your way to do it. And then the last one, number nine. Your assignment may have been someone else's. Make sure it doesn't become someone else's.
your assignment may have been someone else's, make sure it doesn't become someone else's.